and welcome to the very first episode of Monse, a K-pop podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of being your host, Zia J, and I'm very excited to get this show started. This episode will be just an intro episode, so you can get to know me as a host and a K-pop fan, and so that you can get to know the podcast a little bit. As far as the format, so you know what to expect, each week we'll start with news and reviews, where I'll cover the latest comebacks, maybe do some throwback reviews, and I'll cover any news from the K-pop industry and fandom. After that, I'll bring on a guest for an interview or for a discussion about some of the issues that float around in this genre. This week, though, I'll be my own guest, and I'll go over how I got into K-pop and podcasting and why I'm making this show. Right at the top here, I do want to mention that if you like this podcast, the best way that you can support it is by sharing it. Tell people about it, post about it on social media, and if you do, don't forget to tag the show at Munse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Before I jump into this week's news and reviews, though, I want to acknowledge that the land that I live on and the land I listen to K-pop, go to concerts and make this podcast on belongs to the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. Now known as Melbourne, Victoria, this land was stolen from these people who were and still are the custodians of this area. There was never a treaty signed, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I want to recognise the Wurundjeri and Bunurong elders, past and present, and the emerging generation who continue to live and create on this land and take care of it, as they have since the beginning of time. I also want to recognise the deep traditions of music making and storytelling of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of this land that continues today. If this kind of acknowledgement is confusing or new to you, or if you want to learn more about it, there'll be links in the podcast notes and in the transcripts, which can be found in the card in the social media bios. Now, let's get started on this week's comebacks and reviews. As you'll learn later in this episode, I got into K-pop a while ago, so I was very excited for Shiny's comeback this week with Don't Call Me. It's been over two years since their last release, during which time the three older members have completed their compulsory military service, but this song has proved that Shiny is still a huge name in K-pop. The heavy looping in the instrumental is characteristic of recent SM songs, which is unsurprising, most of the producers and writers on the track have also worked with NCT, Red Velvet and other artists on the label. But with a driving beat and a chorus that feels so much like original Shiny, Don't Call Me is a strong return for the group. Also highly anticipated this week was Tail, the new song from solo artist Sunmi. This comeback has some classic hallmarks of Sunmi's style, with detailed instrumental layering, complex and image-heavy choreography, and an incredibly catchy chorus. This song, and its corresponding B-side track, was written and produced by herself and France, a producer who's also credited on tracks like Gotta Go, La La Lay, and Siren, so it's unsurprising that this song has been received very well by fans. And, I mean, just personally, I really enjoy that it makes use of her lower range. I think her voice in that style can be kind of overlooked sometimes, and I liked hearing it more prominently on this track. There are a handful of other comebacks this week, too. Solo artist Wonho, formerly of Monster X, released Lose, a title track of his second EP. Very much following in the steps of Open Mind, Lose is full of heavy bass beats and Wonho's gorgeous, high, floating vocals. 
And honestly, if this isn't blasting in gay clubs at 3am after COVID is over, I will be a little disappointed. We also had On and Off's comeback this week with Beautiful Beautiful. An upbeat, synth-heavy track, Beautiful Beautiful is a little early in the year to be a summer track in Korea, but it certainly has that vibe. It also makes great use of a newer K-pop staple, the acapella bridge. Golden Child's new track, Breathe, is a fun, chill song with some solid group vocals. And if you want to shed a few tears, solo artist CL's song, Wish You Were Here, was written for her late mother, and it's profoundly beautiful. This week also saw a debut from Pixie, the new girl group from Stone Music Entertainment, with their song, Wings. With a horror concept and a unique rapping style from member Lola, Pixie is working hard to set themselves apart as a new group. This coming week has a few boy group comebacks with a bit of buzz around them. AT's Very Very and Icon will all be releasing new music, as well as the highly anticipated collaboration between K-pop legends Rain and Chunga. If there's anyone else you think I should be paying attention to next week, let me know on the podcast socials at Monse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Now, on to news. I dislike that I'm beginning the very first news segment of this podcast on a rough note, but most of you will know that the biggest news this week, and of the past couple of weeks, is the ongoing allegations of bullying and school abuse against a variety of K-pop idols, among other Korean celebrities and athletes. Because I know it can be hard to get all the information in one place, here's a list of the idols who've been accused, and a summary of statements from them or their companies if they've been made. If this is content that might distress you, feel free to skip forward. If you need support, I will have links to resources in the show notes. Aisha of Everglow was accused of verbal and physical assault against a classmate in high school. Yuhua Entertainment's statement was that the claims are false and Aisha doesn't know the accuser. Chu from Luna was accused by a number of middle school classmates of verbal and physical assault as well as theft. Blockberry Creative, her company, stated the claims were false and they would be taking legal action. The first accuser has since said the claims were exaggerated and apologised to Chu. Solo artist Hyuna was accused by a classmate from fifth grade of being part of a group who committed an incident of physical violence. She denied the claims and was backed by her label, P-Nation. Hyunjin of Stray Kids was accused of verbal and online bullying. This follows allegations of bullying from 2018. Hyunjin made a statement himself in a handwritten letter, apologising for any damage caused and thanking the victim for allowing him to meet and apologise in person. JYP Entertainment supported his apology for his, quote, immature actions, and no specifics were mentioned in either statement. JYP Entertainment has since made another statement announcing that Hyunjin will be taking a hiatus from activities to reflect on his actions. Kihyun of Monster X was accused by middle school classmates of spreading rumours and physical abuse. Starship Entertainment denied the allegations and said one person had previously posted false accusations. Despite this, Kihyun himself made an apology for his behaviour as a student. He did not specifically refer to bullying. Mingyu from Seventeen was accused of being part of a group in elementary and middle school that bullied students. Mingyu was said to have largely been an onlooker in these instances. His company, Pletus Entertainment, denied the allegations. This has since been followed by another account from a former student who said Mingyu had also bullied her, including sexual harassment in verbal comments. 
Pledis Entertainment has not responded to these allegations. Sohi, formerly of IOI, was accused of verbal and physical abuse by a classmate of the victim. This follows false allegations of bullying from 2017. Her label, SNP Entertainment, has denied the accusation and said they will take legal measures against the poster. Sujin of G Idol was accused by a sibling of her former classmate and later a former classmate of physical abuse as well as theft and other poor behaviour during school. Cube Entertainment denied claims of physical violence and said they would take legal action. Sujin's own statement acknowledged her poor behaviour at the time, but also denied violence and theft. Sanu of The Boys was accused of being abusive to his former middle school girlfriend, as well as other poor behaviour, though the poster was later deleted. Krika Entertainment denied all allegations and said they are reviewing legal action that may be taken. Wungi of Tiawo was accused of being part of a group of friends who bullied students in high school. Stone Music Entertainment, his company, stated that although he wasn't on good terms with some students, the claims of violence were false. Now that's a very brief summary of the information I have at the time of recording. It's not up to me to say whether accusations or statements are true or accurate, but I do want to provide some information and some context that might be important to fully understand this issue. All of these accusations and statements are initially posted in Korean, and understandably, the quickest translations are often found on Twitter. These can be inaccurate, especially when done by non-Korean speakers who are using translating software. That's then further exacerbated when slang or particularly formal language is used. I don't want to disparage fan translations, but I do want to remind you that no one on Twitter or other social media sites is being held to any standard in regards to translations. Take them with a grain of salt and always try to verify them with a more official source when you can. Some Korean users online have also brought up the issue of cultural context, specifically with regards to translation. When these allegations and statements are translated, it's common to use the phrase bullying. While this may be linguistically accurate, it doesn't provide the context of what is considered bullying in Korean schools, and how that may differ from Western understandings of bullying. A number of users, especially on Reddit, have brought up that behaviour in Korean schools is often only considered bullying once it reaches a certain severity, and so the accusations need to be viewed in that light. I can't speak to that personally, but I will link the threads in the show notes, and I do think it's worth keeping in mind. It's easy to impose our own cultural understandings on these issues, but ultimately that may not be accurate. There has also been some heavy discussion about how allegations should be treated and how we should treat idols once this information comes out. In the interests of transparency, and since this show is heavily informed by my own perspectives, I wanted to share the way that I approach this. I believe strongly in treating victims with respect, and that means believing them. That being said, a statement on the internet only goes so far as proof, and so I often reserve my own judgement of accuracy until more information has come to light. As much as idols are innocent of accusations until proven guilty, accusers are innocent of lying until proven guilty. I know that might sound contradictory, but to me, all parties are deserving of my belief until it's proven that they're not. This issue has really prompted some important discussions of how we as fans should treat accusations against the artists that we're fans of, 
And I do encourage that. We need to be able to view them as people, and that means not elevating them beyond the possibility of wrongdoing. Along with that, we need to discuss how we treat idols if these accusations turn out to be true. What is our standard for apologies? Can we support someone who was a bully in middle school? Is there behaviour that is past any line of forgiveness? Your lines, personally, may be different to the ones you expect the fandom collectively to have. I can't answer any of this for you, especially given the overwhelming amount of information here, but I think it's important to be talking about this. If you want me to go into more detail on this issue and get into some of those discussions with some fans, please let me know and I'll do an episode on it. That, however, is not the only news of the week. On Wednesday, the host of a Bavarian radio station, Bayern 3, made a series of racist comments in response to BTS's cover of Fix You by Coldplay. The host, Matthijs Matuschik, criticised the cover as well as the group, comparing them to COVID-19 and saying that as punishment for the cover, BTS would be, quote, vacationing in North Korea for the next 20 years. After uproar from K-pop fans in Europe, South Korea and across the world, the station apologised for Matushik's words on Friday. In a statement, Bayon 3 said that while the host only meant to express his displeasure over the cover itself, he did so in a, quote, ironic and exaggerated way. They insisted he had not meant to be offensive and has apologised for the hurt it caused BTS fans. This is not an isolated incident. With the rise of K-pop, there has also been a rise in comments like this from professionals across different fields, including in journalism. This also comes at a time when violence against Asian people is rising across the world, in direct relation to misconceptions about the coronavirus. In somewhat lighter news, this week saw the third release of the artist lineup for K-Contact 3, the third online version of K-Con. Hyuna, Kang Daniel, ATs, Mamamoo, and Sunmi are among the 11 artists revealed in this round of announcements. They join 15 artists previously announced, including Jessie, Stray Kids, TXT, Itzy, and Icon, among others. K-Contact will be held from the 20th of March to the 28th. On Friday, JYP Entertainment announced that rock band Day6 are preparing a comeback with all five members. Guitarists Jay and Sung Jin have been on hiatus since May 2020 to take care of their mental health, something that is fortunately becoming more and more common for K-pop idols. The other three members had released a mini-album as the subunit Day 6 Even of Day. There are rumours that the comeback is scheduled for April, though that is yet to be confirmed. That's the end of the formal news for this week, but I did want to mention one more thing. Korean tabloid publication Dispatch announced this week that G-Dragon and Jenny of Blackpink are dating. I'm not covering this as news, and I'm unlikely to cover similar stories in the future. This is not only because this has yet to be confirmed by either idol's companies. I also want to give as little airtime as possible to unverified stories spread by Dispatch. If you don't know, and I wouldn't blame you for it, Dispatch is a publication that is infamous for exposing details about idols' personal lives and particularly spreading relationship rumours. As a fan, but even more so as a journalist, I find Dispatch's coverage to be invasive and unnecessary. It's often unsubstantiated, and Dispatch photographers in particular are known to go to intrusive lengths to obtain information. Unless stories are externally verified or relevant to conversations in the fandom, I will rarely use Dispatch as a source.
So this second segment would normally be where I introduce a guest, either for an interview, and I've already got some very exciting ones lined up, or for more of a discussion with another K-pop fan or fans about a topic to do with K-pop. I've already got some topics that I really want to cover, but if there's anything you want to hear me talk about, feel free to shoot me a message on any of the socials at Monse Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. But for today, like I said, I'll do a bit of an introduction of myself. So I'll start with how I got into K-pop and what kind of drew me in. I first discovered K-pop in 2012, I think. It might have been 2013, but I was introduced to it by my music teacher at the time. Shout out to Ms. Wong for starting all of this for me. I really started with what I guess some people would call second generation idols and groups. So Big Bang was really big, Super Junior, Girls' Generation, TVXQ was huge, 21. I think FX was pretty new at that point, or they debuted a little earlier. But the group that really got me into it was UKISS. I think a lot of fans don't really know UKISS very well anymore, which is fine. But if you know Kevin Wu, he used to host on ASC, you might have seen him around a bit. He's from UKIS, and he was my first bias. So I'm exposing myself here, but shout out to like Dora Dora Eric Kevin for getting me into K-pop. But yeah, I listened to K-pop for a little while, and then it kind of fell out of my interests for a bit. I got really into Britpop, and then into the kind of emo rock part of my teenagehood. But I obviously didn't entirely let it go. And in 2016, during my gap year, I had kind of started to hear about K-pop again on the internet. And then I saw that a group called Seventeen had come to Melbourne and performed here. So I watched a couple of music videos and it was down the rabbit hole for me. Seventeen was the first group that I kind of came back to. And then I got into EXO and Day6. And then for the past almost five years now, I've been listening to a lot of different artists and really dived into K-pop. I think the things that drew me into K-pop when I first got into it and again in 2016 were the things that attract most fans. I mean, K-pop is a pop genre, right? And it's very heavily designed to be appealing and it's very good at that. On a music level, it was quite different to me, to the Western pop I had grown up hearing, and that was really interesting. But of course, there's everything around it too. There's the fashion, the huge production music videos, the makeup and hairstyling, and the huge theatre of the stages and performances. I think something that's really intentional too about K-pop is that groups have a lot of members compared to Western pop groups, so you're bound to find at least one member in each group that you really like, and that's definitely been true for me. Each group that I've come across, I have found at least one member, usually a few, that I've been able to connect with on a fan level. But there was a period of about four years between when I first got into K-pop and then when I rediscovered it. So a lot changed in that time. It was really interesting to come back to what was ostensibly the same genre, but with really different fashion and hair and makeup styles and things like a much heavier presence of hip-hop in the music. And look, you should do yourself a favour and go watch some music videos from 2012, 2013, look at the hair and the fashion. That's what I got into. And then 
I came back in 2016, but the things that really drew me into K-pop, the things that captivated me were still there. So it wasn't hard for me at all to get really into it again. So I found K-pop in 2012, found it again in 2016, and then at the beginning of 2017, I went to university and started a media and communications degree majoring in journalism. The whole time, even when I was applying for universities, I planned to be a music journalist. But at that point, I was expecting to focus on the rock and alt scene that I had been in for the past five, six years and that I'm still in today. I never expected to be pursuing a career around K-pop. So I studied for four years and I focused a lot of my journalism assignments on that music, not K-pop. I was planning on trying to write for Rock Sound or a similar rock or alt publication doing print journalism. But in my electives, in my non-journalism subjects, I focused a lot of my assignments on K-pop. In the past four years, I have written essays about how to categorize the different generations of K-pop, or the way Korean idols use fashion and language to play with gender performance in different ways. And I've also used that time to study Korean culture and politics. And all through that, I've been listening to and really enjoying everything around K-pop. I also did do some journalism assignments on K-pop. And it was maybe a year and a half before the end of my degree, so pushing two years now, that I kind of had this fleeting idea of maybe I should do a podcast about K-pop. It was not serious to start with, like it was definitely one of those ideas that you kind of joke about with friends a bit, and I was not expecting it to go anywhere. But it came from this place, I think, of being a K-pop fan, and especially being an Australian fan, and really struggling to find English-language coverage of K-pop that I enjoyed. And I think, as a journalist, I do have certain standards for other journalists and publications, standards that other fans might not have, but people were not meeting them often. There's a lot of frustrations that I have with the way international media treats K-pop, especially in Australia. If there are other people who feel that way and want to hear me talk about it, or especially if you're an Australian fan and you want to come on and talk about it with me, absolutely let me know and I'll talk about it more. But the idea for this show really came from that place of me going, if not many other people are going to do this, maybe I'll do it myself. And I do want to take a moment here because I'm not trying to say that no one covers K-pop well. Um, and just some recommendations if you want to see the type of content that I enjoy that I do think as a fan and a journalist covers K-pop really well. You have Zach Sang of The Zach Sang Show. He interviews groups and artists. He does a great job and he obviously researches the artists really well. I mean, he's been interviewing K-pop artists for actually quite a while. I really, really love what he does. And similarly, Jeff Benjamin, who, if you've been around K-pop for a bit, especially if you've paid attention to KCON, you might have come across Jeff Benjamin before. He does a lot of different work, but he really gets K-pop, and that really comes through in his coverage of it. And of course, I cannot start a K-pop podcast without talking about Eric Nam, who has K-pop Debark, which is a podcast, and he has some other shows on Dive Studios. He's a genius for K-pop debark and for dive studios. I love his work. 
I love how he does it. He's very, very good at it. But I do think there's a bit of separation from fans in his work, which is good and important given that most of the people on any of the shows on Dive Studios are idols. But that's a gap that I kind of wanted to fill with this show. So I had this idea kind of maybe two years ago. And obviously the last year has been pretty interesting. But time in quarantine in Melbourne last year really gave me an opportunity to flesh out this idea and actually make it happen. I got to really analyse the podcasts I was listening to, what I liked about them, what I might be able to incorporate into my own work. But I also had to work out practically what I could do on my own. I'm making this whole show myself, writing, producing, all the social media. So I had to work out just what was practical for me to do without a producing team or a media company behind me. And in the interests of honesty, I also had to brush up on my podcasting skills. I hadn't done any work, any podcast work for a while. So if these first few episodes are kind of rough, that is why, and we will get there. (laughs) But that time also gave me an opportunity to work out what I wanted the show to be and to distill it into what you're hearing now. Like I talked about before, I struggled to find good coverage of K-pop or coverage that I enjoyed, but especially it's hard to find coverage that is done with the fans in mind. I'm really interested in fan and fandom culture, in analysing it, but mostly in building these conversations about how we can be good to each other as fans and also to the artists that we all love. K-pop also has this huge kind of underground fan industry and community, which does exist in other fandoms, but I haven't found it as strongly anywhere else as I have in K-pop. You have fans who make physical things, pins, bags, clothes, sustainable cutlery sets. And then you also have people who make less tangible content, fan-made music videos for B-side tracks, dance covers, choreography videos for songs that don't have choreography, and all this other entertainment. I really want to use this podcast to give those people a platform to talk about their businesses and hobbies and to have a chance to talk about the things they care about and the things they've noticed from their position in the K-pop fandom. So obviously, something that's really important to me is having as many voices and perspectives as I can on here. Obviously, this happens online already. You can find a lot of these conversations on the internet. But I have spent the past four years building these skills as a journalist, and I wanted to put them to good use and help people tell their stories. And in doing that, build this collective story about K-pop and K-pop fandom. And of course, given where the idea for this show started, I have some very lofty dreams about interviewing idols one day, whether it's for my own content like this show or as a freelance journalist when they come to Australia. But even that comes from a place of wanting to give other fans the type of content that I've really wanted for the past few years. That's a very big goal, and maybe for the future. I don't know where this podcast will take me. I have some smaller goals, some makers and video creators that I'd love to interview, but I really want to hear from as many people as possible. My priority right now is not about working with idols. It's about working with other fans and using the skills that I have to give something back to a community and a genre that has given me so much over the past five or so years. So that's a bit about me. And 
that brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you got to know me a bit more and you got a bit familiar with what this show will sound like in the future. I'm really, really excited to bring you some of the stuff I have lined up already. If there is anything you want to hear, I want to know about it. Whether it's artists I should keep an eye on, people you want to hear me interview, a topic you want me to cover, or a topic that you know a bit about and you want to talk about with me on the show, you can contact me, find the podcast at Monse Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. As I said at the start, the biggest thing you can do for the show right now is share it, either by telling people about it or by sharing on social media. And if you really like it, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Each episode will also have a full transcript. You can find a link to that in the card, in the episode notes and the social media bios. And for any episode that needs it, I will include all my references in the show notes and the transcripts. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week for the next episode of Manse, a K-pop podcast. <laughs>